Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, Father's one of the best things that you can do for your children if you have them. Uh, and men who are preparing to be husbands and fathers, if you're not already, one of the best things that you can give to your children is the gift of letting them know that you are not one flesh with them, but that you are one flesh with your wife. And God has so purposed to display the gospel most fully through relationships, obviously the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and His actual life, death, and resurrection. But the Bible is unbelievably clear that uh, the gospel is also demonstrated to an extent in the marriage of a man and a woman. We're going to see that here in a little bit, Ephesians chapter 5. And a gift that you can give to your children, men, as it's Father's Day, welcome to Father's Day, is the gift of being a godly husband, of displaying to them what good and proper and right healthy headship looks like in the home. It's a gift that you can give to show your children that your priority relationally in the home is not them first, but it is your wife first. And I need this sermon today. This is not a sermon uh, that, that I have just mastered and I'm just giving you this and it's like, guys, I'm the best husband in here and if everybody would just be like me, you'd be great. Because that's not the case. Like We're stumbling forward together. We're wanting to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. And so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, not just not fatherhood, but in, in particular uh, what it means to be a husband in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to do a couple statistics real quick, read a couple statistics that are pretty fascinating because I do want to recognize fathers and the importance of fatherhood and the fatherhood, the the epidemic problem we have in our society. I just want you to read actually this to the positive uh, about about fathering. Uh, A study was done in 2004, conducted in 2004 uh, by the Baptist Convention that was a kind of a restudy from another uh, organization that put together a study on fatherhood. And it says this, that if the child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone in the house will follow. Okay, So this is done over thousands and thousands of people in polls and years of study uh, have found out that 3.5% of the time when a child in the home is the first to become a Christian, the rest of the family will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. 17%. Okay, 17% if the mother is first to become a Christian in the home. But if the father is first, this is just absolutely alarming. There is a 93% probability that everyone in the household will follow. Now certainly statistics can be wrong uh, or even skewed. But what we can see from this study is that the father and spirituality in the home, starting with the father, is massively important. So men, this is a really important issue. And in fact... There was a government study, federal government study, uh, that discovered that there is a father factor indeed in the homes of America. Just the father being in the home, I want you to hear these statistics, that there is a, uh, a major problem. But here's the positive effect of fathering in our country. There is an effect directly related to poverty. If, the, if, a child, if children in a father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be, to, to be poor. Four times more likely to be poor. 2011, 12% of children in married couple families were living in poverty compared to 44% of children in mother-only families. So when it comes to poverty and just general wealth, the father in the home matters. This is, again, conducted by the federal government, fatherhood.org, not by a Christian organization. The father factor in emotional and behavioral problems. Massive uh, amounts of data show that the emotional and behavioral health of a child is directly related to a father being in the home. We're not even talking about good father, bad father. We're just talking about simple presence in a home. It doesn't stop there. The factor in maternal and child health, 
when it comes to measurements of health of a child. It's directly related to whether or not there's a father in the home. And it's not just, uh, it's not just, it's also related to physical health. That when it comes to uh, 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 disease, um, and it's, it's really bizarre, even when it comes to like cancer rates in the home, like weird, weird things happen when the father is in the home uh, those sorts of diseases, the, stat, the, the statistics, and I'm butchering it here, but uh, I actually saw that statistic on, uh, I believe it was um, James Dobson and Focus on the Family, that when it comes to even physical health, not just like psychological, uh, mental health, when it comes to actual physical health, uh, there is a direct re- uh, relation to fathers being in the home to the health, physical health of children. It's just absolutely wild. Uh, when it comes to incarceration, uh, the incarceration rates are monumentally higher for children who did not have a father in the home. Uh, So crime rates are higher and higher and higher. When it comes to teen pregnancy and sexual activity, a father being in the home decreases teen pregnancy and sexual activity before marriage. Father factor in child abuse. Uh, Child abuse abuse rates are on the massive decline in homes that have a father present. Uh, When it comes to drug and alcohol abuse, I think you get the point. Fathers being in the home matter, and it's not just the Christian world who identifies that. It's the federal government, United States federal government, that recognizes that that as well. Um, And so, fathers, thank you. I'm growing in what it means to be a father and learning, and will be growing and learning the rest of my life. Uh, Every father in here, even with children outside of the home, uh, you're still growing and learning as a father, correct? I think there's two in here, James and Dan and and uh, Greg as well. The older, the older you get, you, you just learn. You just continue to grow as a father. It just never ends. You never stop being a father. So, uh, fathers, um, you are needed, and, uh, and I'm sure that, that uh, you're also appreciated. So, like I said, the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children, fa- uh, f- uh, fathers, is to be a good and godly husband. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, last week, it ended with uh, me talking about to, talking to wives and saying that, that the wives, God gives you the dignity of speaking to you first. That He anticipates that you're going to be able to hear without the cushion of hearing what the father, what the husband is supposed to be to you. That you're going to be able to hear first and receive what God says to you as a woman and as a wife. So God spoke to you about submission, godly submission. And what we saw in the scriptures is that uh, you are given an example by Christ of what it means to be a godly wife, what it means to submit. And then we are left with the question, okay, submit to what? And this week we're going to discover, okay, what submission, you know, what, what, are you, what is this submission to? What are we submitting to? And we're going to look at fatherhood, or excuse me, keep thinking fatherhood. We're going to look at b- b- being a godly and Christian husband. And so men, this is for you, and it's not only for you, but primarily it is for you. And we're going to see two primary things rise to the surface. We're going to see, number one, we're going to see that Jesus is our example of what it means to be a husband. Jesus is our example of what it means to be a husband. So Jesus as example, part one. Part two, we're going to see that Jesus is our Savior. So Jesus as example, part one. Part two, Jesus as our Savior, because He is the perfect head of the church, the perfect husband of His bride, and we lean into, as men, His perfect work on our behalf. So Jesus is so much more than our example. He is actually our Savior as well, but we're going to look at both pieces, Jesus as example and Jesus as Savior. The first thing we need to understand today is that Jesus is the head of His church. Look at verse 25 in chapter 5, or verse 25, chapter 5 in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. We see a direct relation between Christ and His church 
and the husband and the wife. It's real simple. We even saw that last week when we heard that Christ is the head of his church. In verse 23, Christ is the head of the church. The first thing I want to consider is what kind of head is Jesus to the church? What does Jesus do for his bride, for his church? Well, first, Christ is the head of his church. It's, not, it's unquestioned. He is absolutely the head of the church. But what does he do as this head? Jesus chooses his bride. Jesus wooed and continues to woo his bride. Jesus, as the head, romances his bride. Jesus empowers his church, his bride. Jesus speaks tenderly and tough to his bride when needs to be, but tenderly to his bride, specifically knowing what words to use. Jesus lives for his bride. Jesus sacrifices for His bride. Jesus dies for His bride. Jesus saves His bride. Jesus defends His bride. Jesus protects His bride. Jesus cleanses His bride. Jesus beautifies His bride. Jesus takes away the shame of His bride. Jesus gives righteousness to His bride. Jesus befriends His bride. Jesus leads His bride. We could say it this way, Jesus constantly and continually and more forever, He pursues His bride. Now that is a really good head of the church. That is really good. Those are a lot of adjectives we could have gone on. This is the kind of head that Jesus is for his bride. All these words that are so beautiful, he sacrifices for her. He lives for her. He dies for her. He beautifies her, takes away shame, gives righteousness. All It goes on and on and on of all the things that Christ has done for his church. Now, men, this is really important because as we understand what it means to be the head of our wife, as we understand what it means to lead and serve our wife, we need to understand that we also have a head, that Jesus is our head. And He has been good. We have experienced and are continuing to experience what God is going to call us to give. The parable in Matthew 18 is really interesting. It's to whom much has been forgiven. Okay? If you've forgiven much, you will forgive much. If you believe you've been forgiven little, you'll forgive little. And the analogy is a man is in prison and uh, he pleads for the forgiveness of his debt, which is like a hundred years worth of salary. And the magistrate, the leader, the king forgives this guy's debt. And then this man immediately goes out and he demands 30 days wages debt from one of his servants. And the bystanders are standing by and are saying that this is absolute insanity. Don't you understand what you've been forgiven of? If you've been forgiven of so much How insane is it for you to go and demand from somebody else what you have just been forgiven of? When it was wildly more than what you're asking for. And the whole point is, the man didn't understand what he'd been forgiven of. He just, if you think you've been forgiven of little, then you just forgive little. And here's the point. We are experiencing a great King Savior. Our big brother Jesus who has saved us and is leading us and who is our King and our Lord and He knows exactly how to lead us. We are currently experiencing that. So Jesus now is calling us to what we're experiencing, what we're seeing in the Scriptures now begin to be that for your wife, for your bride. Start to be like Jesus. Men, this is what we are called to. It's a high and holy calling. Husband is to be that kind of head. 
It's what Jesus does for us and what now he calls us to do for our wives. So number one, we're going to part one. We're going to look at Jesus as example. Look again at verses 25. We're going to go down through verse 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Love as Christ loved the church. Uh, Men, Christ is our example of how to be the husband that we are supposed to be. He is our example. Not the world. Not whether or not your wife you feel like deserves you to be the man that God is calling you to be. Uh, We are not passive participants in marriage waiting for our wife to be godly and to deserve our pursuit of her. We are pursuing her regardless of the situation that she is in. How, How has Jesus been to His bride? How has Jesus been to you? Well, He has been a pursuer of you, has He not? Jesus has pursued us. God did not wait for us to deserve anything to come for us. We offended Him. We sinned against Him. He sends His Son to come and save a bride. Not a beautiful bride. Because He had to beautify the bride after He saved the bride. He came to, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus pursues. And this is our call, man. Now this, we feel like, naturally, is somewhat simpler when you start dating. I mean, it's kind of funny, right? The story is when you started dating, you loved, you talked all the time, you pursued your wife's heart, you gave her gifts, you did really nice things for her, and, and, and all of those sorts of things. And then you've been married for several years now, and you know the banter that goes back, back and forth is your wife is saying, hey baby, why don't you ever take me out on dates anymore? And you're scratching your head and thinking, baby, we watch net- Netflix every single night. Like, we go on dates every night. What are you talking about? Uh, you know? Uh, but why don't you pursue me? And it becomes, as men, the sin of Adam creeps in where we stand by and we passively just kind of watch our life go by and watch our wives live her lives and we just kind of put our hands in our pockets and think, hey, she's got me, baby, you got me. Like, you know, look, the prize right here, baby. You know, do I really need to keep pursuing you? And the point of this is say, yes, is Jesus still pursuing you? Has He captured you? Yes. Or do you have Him? Yes. Is He still pursuing you? Oh, yes. There's more areas of your heart that He wants. More areas of your He continues to pursue, and He does not wait for us to deserve anything. So our standard, men, is not anything that the world says. It's not sitting back in a posture of waiting until she does this or deserves this or starts acting better. I'm not doing nothing. No, our our lives, our standard, regardless. And it's never advocate. We can never advocate it. It never changes. It is unconditional. This is what God calls us to do, is to pursue our wives. I'm in the same boat as you men of wanting to and rediscovering how do I, what is pursuit after five years? What does it look like in five years of marriage to continue to pursue my wife? We're, we're learning together. Okay, and I'm not perfect at this. I'm almost Okay, just kidding. Thanks for the laughter. Christ's unconditional pursuit of you. His love. That's our example. So, we're going to look at four ways that Jesus lovingly pursues His wife. Four ways Jesus lovingly pursues His wife. You're going to be able to follow the sermon today, I think, and even jot down bullet points if you want. So, four ways. Number one, love means action. The pursuit. The pursuit. The pursuit. Love means means action. He gave himself up for her. Look at verse 25. Love your wives. 
Husbands, love your wives. As what? As Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? Did he just write about the church? Did he just sing to the church? Or did he do something for the church? Love is action. He gave himself up for her. Jesus gives himself. This is love in action. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, like, says it like this. It's really, really powerful. He says this in a sermon called The Bride of Christ. But we must proceed beyond the aspect, because the apostle is at pains to remind us the attitude of Christ toward the church is not something which, man, which excuse me, is something which manifests itself in practice. There is a matter which we now take up. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not enough to consider his attitude toward the church, the way he looks at the church, and regards the church. That is surely something, says Paul, which is now manifesting itself in practice. And we emphasize this because the apostle emphasizes this. Real quick. The principle, therefore, is that love is not something theoretical. Love is not something merely to be talked about. Love is not something to be written about. Something merely at which you write poetry. Love is not merely the theme of some great uh, opera or some great song, or this miserable crooning, or whatever it is called. Love is something which you look at theoretically or externally. Love is the most practical thing in the world. To love means you do something. DC Talk fits into one sermon of mine every, I don't know, two or three months. Uh, if you remember the great 1994 album, I believe, uh, there was a song on it that said, uh, told us that love is a verb. Love is an action word. Ryan, I know, knows every word of that song. And then, I think, uh, what was it on TV? Uh, the, uh, the TV show that taught you, uh, 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 verb, 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 I'm an action word, right? <laughs> so if you combine DC Talk and then whatever that TV show was, you find that, that love is action and it's a verb and it means action. And we see that the scriptures agree with DC Talk and whatever that TV show was. How, Schoolhouse Rock. Love is action, and we see that. Point number one, love means action. He pursues and gives himself for his bride. It's interesting that we see a, a particular way in which Christ gives himself. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, it is true to say, in a general sense, that God loves the world. But this shows us a particular love in which we are to follow Christ. It goes like this. I, in a general way, love all of you women in here. Okay? In a general way. But I am not called to love you the same way I love my wife. I would get in a lot of trouble. We are called to love in a particular way. Why? Because Jesus has loved his bride in a particular way and gave himself particularly to her. He loves his bride, his wife, in a really specific way. Husbands, do you know your wife in a particular way? This is our example. Do you know her more than any other person in the world? Her likes, her dislikes, what to get her for Christmas? I'm still learning that. It's just so hard. I can't figure out what gifts. I'm not a terrible gift buyer. I need to learn from Leslie Nope and start. Any other man out there, terrible gift buyers? Like, okay. It's like, why can't we think of anything? Like, it's just awful. I don't know. But I, I need to grow in this area. I'm, uh, that's, the, that's the point. To love our wives particularly. We are not to love our wife like we are every other woman in the world. We are specifically called to love her on a lifelong pursuit. 
Jesus is committed to his bride. He loves the world, but not in the same way, not with the unique love in which he loves his bride. There is a special love that Jesus has for you and us in this room that he does not have for the people out there. It's not to say he does not love the people out there, but it is unique and it's particular and it is very special. And we are privileged by God's grace to be recipients of a very particular love. Friends, Jesus knows you particularly. He knows you intimately. He knows your likes, your dislikes, your sin propensities. And he is committed to you specifically. And this is the example in which we are called to follow in men. Do you know your wife and love her particularly? Love means action. Give himself up for her. He didn't just love her theoretically. He loved her practically. He gave himself for her. Now, it's been said often that it is, in some ways, at least I've heard it said, it's, it's easy to take a bullet for somebody and die for somebody. But what about living for that somebody? And friends, this is what Jesus did. He didn't just give himself up for her us on the cross he lived for us and gave himself up daily by his life every day when he was hammering that nail learning construction from his father joseph and in an industry that is so sin prone you ever smashed your hand with a hammer what are the words that come out of your mouth gee willikers gee golly it's like you know it's it's at least if it doesn't come out of your mouth you're thinking in your head awful things and you want to throw the hammer you know like it's awful and he was a sinless construction worker a sinless construction worker and those days those routines of learning he learned jesus is fully god fully man so as a fully man he had to learn he lived he lived he gave himself up daily living for us and we are recipients of that perfect life he lived on a Tuesday when he was 11 years old working with his father Joseph, that was for us. That sinless activity on that hot day when he got that awful splinter and responded appropriately rather than sinfully, he lived for us. He gave himself for us. Friends, that's good news. And that's the example, men, that we are called to walk in. Do we, yeah, baby, I jump in front of a locomotive for you. Well, yeah, okay, that's easy. But what about caring for her on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? What about thinking ahead and living for her, not giving yourself up for her? This is what we are called to as husbands, men. I'm in the same boat. Because you hear this, it's like, this is, this is hard, this example stuff. You can see how beautiful and true and good it is, but it's also really, really hard. Am I the only man in here that's feeling the weight of that? Like it's, man, that's hard, but it's good and it's right. Gives himself, we are to love particularly. Second, number two, bullet point number two. The second way a husband lovingly pursues, in four ways Jesus lovingly pursues his bride and gives us an example. Number two, he did this to sanctify her, to set her apart. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her. Now I want to say quickly that might does not intend to communicate maybe, that maybe he might sanctify her. I want you to see this starting a few verses later. Note, notice from verse 27 backwards, there's a string of thought that are connected by these conjunctions, that, so that, so that, and if it's not a conjunction, just Kathy, is, a con- is that, that a conjunction? Okay, it's a conjunction, all right. Uh, they're connected by these words, that, starting verse 27, uh, look at the last words of verse 27, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see that? That she might be. 
Okay, this is a string of thoughts that to be, this is the end, that, that Christ wanted a bride holy and without blemish. And to get there, there's previous things that had to happen. And then previous things that had to happen. And as you're going forward, you're seeing, okay, this, so that that would happen, then that, that would happen. So this isn't might as in maybe would happen. This is might as in a string of thoughts that this happened so that this might be able to happen, then this might be able to happen, then this might be able to happen so that Christ would have a, a, a bride without spot or blemish or any such thing. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's how, in, in a lot of different translations, you can see the variances in that, but the thought to be communicated is that he did this so that he could do this, so that he could do this, so that he could do this. Jesus wants a spotless bride. And to get a spotless bride out of dead, cold, rebellious sinners, some massive mountains had to be moved. And in fact, Jesus did that starting in his life and then a hill called Calvary and living and raising from the dead. He did this that he might, gave himself that he might sanctify her. This is what Jesus has done for us Brothers, sisters, He gave Himself and He has set us apart. We are a set-apart people. He has given us the Holy Spirit and given us a new heart. And He has set us apart as His bride. We are His. We gather all over the city and all over the world as a set-apart people. Jesus has sanctified us, set, identified us, pulled us out and said, this, these, these are mine. These are my brothers and sisters. This is my bride. And I'm continuing to gather them in. And I'm continuing to gather them in. My bride, until it comes to completion, I'm, I'm doing my work. He sanctifies. Now, here's the idea, men. Our call is to sanctify our wives. That the world would know that she is set apart, not just as ours, but set apart as Christ's. Jesus does this for us so well, but we are now to give ourselves up for our wives so that they become more and more set apart from the world. A woman secure in her husband's sacrificial, Christ-like love will stand out as a unique and beautiful woman in the world. How is your wife being distinguished in her relationships and if she works in the workplace and in, her, for in, in the life of recreation, how is she being distinguished as unique and beloved because of the way you love her? Men? How is she continuing to be set apart as a woman whom everybody knows is loved by her man? This is our call. To live in such a way that her beauty shines wherever she is through the love that God is communicating to her through our love of our wives. She was continuing to be set apart. We've seen this when you've seen marriages, godly marriage, men and women that you really love and you see a husband love a wife well, people around know that she is a loved woman. And she knows that she is a loved woman. Husbands, this is our call. Wives, let me ask you this. Do you want a husband that loves you in such a way that you stand out that everybody knows that you are loved by your husband? Do you think, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. No, that, that's, this is the point of marriage, why we complement one another. The way we're called to love, it, it, signif- it points you out and it beautifies you. It, it makes you flourish, does it? This is not love and the call of servant leadership on a husband is not in any way to beat down, in any way. It's to live in such a way that the woman, the wife, flourishes and beautifies over the years. 
sanctify, to sanctify her, to set her apart. This is what Christ did. Number three, bullet point three, verse 26b, having cleansed her, Jesus also cleansed his bride. Having cleansed her, Jesus cleanses his bride by the washing of the water with the word. Uh, Commentators all kind of go back and forth on what washing with the water of the word is. But all agree universally that it, it is clear that Jesus cleanses his bride. He cleanses her. He takes action steps. He gives himself for the wholeness of his bride. He is concerned not just for her sins being forgiven, but even the sins against her, the sins that have been committed against his bride, the church. He cleanses his church of. And he is continuing to do that for us, men and women. There is cleansing for us. We don't have to walk in shame anymore. And for a wife, men, we are called to cleanse her with the washing of the water of the Word. We are to be people of the Bible, men. We are to know God's Word. We are to know that our authority, even in any way, any way we slice it, is directly related to how much we lean into the authority of the Bible. We love God's Word and we want our wives to know God's Word. We want to wash her with the waters of that Word, that forgiving Word that the Scriptures declare. The Scriptures being about Jesus. We want to wash them daily in the Word of Jesus. You're forgiven. You're wiped clean. And we live for the wholeness of our bride. There's areas of my wife's heart like there's areas of your heart, women and wives. And if, excuse me, if you're not uh, married yet, ladies, then one day you will need a man like this who will want your whole health, not for you to just get by. He will want for you, and I am called to want for my wife. In every broken areas, there's sinned areas of Jordan's heart, but then there's also broken areas of her heart and life. And I am pursuing the cleansing of her, that I want to see her come in all the fullness that she can come. I want to see her cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. I want to see her become a biblical woman, and she already is by God's grace. But I want her to see even more of the Scriptures and even become more of a God-fearing, biblical, Christ-like woman. So we live as Christ has cleansed us with the washing of the water of the Word. This is our call. Live for her cleansing. Live for her wholeness. Live that she doesn't live in such a way and love her in such a way that her shame in her life doesn't build over the years. Shame and brokenness doesn't grow over the years. It diminishes. She becomes more whole. She becomes more, and by the way, this is the irony, the more, more whole we become, the more we realize we need Jesus not the more that we realize that we're independent of Him. So there's the irony of that. This is not growing to where she's so healthy where she doesn't need Jesus anymore. So we live as Christ cleansed His church with the washing of the water of the Word. We live in that way. This is our call to live as husbands. Your wife needs you to fight for her wholeness. Number four. The fourth way in which Jesus lovingly pursues His bride and in which we as husbands are called to pursue our wives is we are to, Jesus presents her as holy and blameless. This is remarkable to me. Jesus gives Himself for the setting apart of the bride, then for the cleansing of the bride, and for the holiness of the bride. Look at verse 27 so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus does all this work, and then He begins, He saves us, He begins this beautifying work 
for His bride, the church. And one day that work will be complete and He will actually present her as holy and pure and blameless to Himself. This great groom who is so loving and compassionate in power will rid all of His bride's sin, all of her stains, all of her brokenness, and we one day, us in this room, will stand perfectly whole and blameless in His sight because of His work and His work alone. And this is how we're called to love our wives. When I'm, if I get to live to 70, 80, 90, I'll need to hear this when I'm 70, 80, 90. I'll need to be reminded the work is never done for me on this work because I will be a broken man the rest of my life. So I need to hear this. And husbands, no matter where you're at across the board, we need to be reminded of this. Are you living for your wife's holiness? Is she a more godly woman having known you than she was before? What about this year? Is she more Christ-like this year than last year because of God, how God has used you in her life? Or is she more bitter, cold, and guarded this year because of your relationship with your wife? We can just kind of let that hover. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus brings his wife toward godliness. He beautifies her until the time is right. Husbands, Jesus is using us, men. Jesus is using us. Using us. Because he will beautify your wife. But until then, under shepherd, we, under, underneath him, we are called to beautify and to sanctify her. Using you, using us to beautify his wife. Husband, your wife, is your wife more Christ-like because of the way you give yourself up for her? Do you fight and pray for her? Is your wife's godliness and holiness on your mind? These questions I'm asking to myself. Okay, is your wife's holiness, her areas of sin and struggle, is that on your mind? Are you praying for your wife? Are you thinking for her? Remember, we're in part one, Jesus as example. We'll get to Jesus as Savior here in just a second. We need to let this just hover a little bit. We need our, it's like seasoning. We just let that season... It's like a cast iron skillet season there. How often do you think and pray for your wife? Do you know your area, the areas that your wife struggles with sin? What are the areas of idols in her heart? What are your wife's idols? What are the false gospels in her life? That news that she thinks, that, that she hears, if I had that, oh, I would finally be happy. What are the lies that Satan uses? What are the, what are the temptations, the it just dangles in front. Like, if I only had that, your wife would think, oh, what's her functional false gospels? Do you know? And are you fighting against the enemy? Are you being proactive? Or, like Adam, do we sit back and watch the enemy attack as she continues to eat down what will kill her? This is, this is our call. It's a never-ending pursuit. We continually pursue our wife for her flourishing. Now, this is how it always works. The law, the gospel. The law is good and right. And yet, it is also crushing. Because for us men, in the same way ladies heard last week, they needed to hear that they will never perfectly submit to this kind of self-sacrificing love. Okay? Even if we're the best husbands in the world, they'll never be perfect submitters. They will never, ever perfectly trust and just love and be the godly woman that God has called her to be. Never perfect. That's why they need a Savior. In the same way, 
as we hear our example to follow Christ, we will never save ourselves through these commands. I just, it's, this is how the law and the gospel, this is how Jesus as example works. Jesus' example, the one in whom we're to follow and to be more like the rest of our lives, it also exposes us because it says, Jesus is something that I am not. He is the perfect man. He is fully God and fully man. And He did this perfectly my behalf. So we got to look at We cannot just end at Jesus' example. Okay, guys, just start doing this. Start doing better. Live this. Right? Jot this down. And just start loving your wife in this way. And perfectly pursue her. And perfectly love her. And perfectly beautify her. And perfectly give yourself up for her. And perfectly live for her. Go do it. Good try. Pat on the butt. Here's some Gatorade. Go for it. Get your electrolytes in you. And try really hard. We've got to hear the good news gospel because it's in the second part that we hear that's going to empower us to be transformed. And ladies, you as well. It's going to empower us to be transformed. Okay, what's the the line and uh, um, the strength to follow your commands can never come from me? We're about to get to the strength to follow his commands because it's not found in what I just gave you. It's not found in just the example here. Here's Jesus' example. The power to actually become like this, more and more Christ-like, is coming. And it's in the second part. Jesus as Savior. Look with me in verse 28 through 30. We'll just read down through it. In the same way, husbands should love their, uh, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. But actually, we'll just stop right there. Uh, first, love your wives as we love our own bodies, or love our wives as our own bodies. Now that's a huge difference. Are we to love our wives? Does it say love our wives? Only the New Living Translation, and it gets it wrong, says husbands love your wives as you love your own bodies. It's not what it says. It says husbands love your wives as your own as your own bodies. Here's the radical thing about marriage and why it's so beautiful and so important, why Christians are all talking and up in arms about marriage, why it's very, very significant, because it paints a picture to the world about the gospel. Husband, you are not your own anymore. My, My wife and I are one. It's love our wives as our own bodies, not as I love my own body. Because some of you men are like, just look at me, I don't love my body that much. Uh, And, you know, kind of thing. And me... Okay, like shirt off, 32 right now. Man, I look like I'm about 80 years old right now. It's like, my goodness, I hope I can love my wife better than I love my own body. Uh, but it doesn't say that. It says, as, you, as your own body. This is something powerful and important. You no longer, men, we no longer see ourselves as me, Jared. I'm Jared. I've got to, that has got to die. Yes, I'm Jared. I don't lose that identity. But I'm more now. I've been brought into a one flesh relationship. This is what it says. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's verse 31. Husbands, love your wives as your own body. You know what that means? Her problems are not just her problems because you're in a one, one flesh relationship with her. Her problems are not just hers to figure out anymore. Husband, her problems are your problems. Her problems are your problems. Her joys are your joys. Her passions are now your passions. Her sorrows are your sorrows. Her sin is your sin. Her victories are your victories. Love as you, as your own body. Every husband cares for himself. Not every husband understands that caring for yourself means caring for your wife, however, and that's what we're trying to figure out. Me is no longer Jared. Me is 
is in a one flesh sense, me and Jordan. There's no one body, you and your wife. We don't view ourselves any longer. And what's that rooted in? Where's that come from? Where's that idea of one flesh, the profound mystery? Where does it come from? Where does the idea, what, what, is, what is this? One flesh, what, love your wives as your own bodies. What? That's weird. For he who loves his wife loves himself. What does it mean? To love my wife means I'm loving my very self. This is one flesh. To love her, we're, we're one flesh. I'm not, this is, this is about, we're, we're one now. There's this real and true oneness that we have. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And verse 30 for us provides power for us all. Because honestly, for all of our marriages in here, in here, and for myself included, my hope is not in you for your marriage. I tell everybody that I officiate a wedding, I told John and Jocelyn this, like when I did their wedding, uh, my hope for their marriage is not John and Jocelyn. My hope for Tim and Maria is not, and I didn't do their wedding, uh, but <laughs> my hope for Tim and Maria is not Tim and Maria. My hope for my wife and me is not me. It's this right here. It's verse 30. Because we're members of His body, He is a really good head of His body. He is a really good shepherd of His sheep. He is a really good leader. He is a really good king. He is a really good husband to His bride. So good, in fact, that we have the very good news. It's connected to the truth. Verse 29 and 30, it says that nourishing just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body, we need to be reminded, well, what does Jesus do for His body? We went through it. He loves us. He gave Himself up for His body. He has sanctified His body. He is cleansing His body. He is presenting and preparing His body to present to Himself. And you know what that means for Christian husbands and wives? He is committed to you being a husband, men, more than you're committed to you being a husband. Our hope is that He is not through with you yet. That He is not through with me yet. That He is making me and preparing me. And as a husband, He will one day make me into the bride that He so desires. And that means along the way, I am being made by the powerful God of the universe into a better and better husband the rest of my life. And wives the same way. That's our hope. Our hope isn't just hearing the example. Our hope is that Jesus is actually doing this. That it isn't just theoretical. It's not just words on a paper. That his, his commitment to our marriage is way stronger than our commitment to our marriage. He is doing this for us. This is the hope of Christian marriage. Husbands and wives. Jesus is the perfect bride, perfect head of His bride. Our journey to become better husbands and wives Jesus is the one who's preparing us for Himself. He is working on the husbands. He's working on the wives. He's taking care of His body and He's committed to us infinitely more than we are committed to Him or each other. The hope of Christian marriage now and for the best marriage as you grow older together is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the Gospel? Do you know this one flesh relationship? Do you understand that you're, there's this old analogy that's, that's really powerful. It's God is here. The wife is here, and the husband is here. And as they're pursuing Jesus together, they get closer and closer. Right? Simple, profound. You've probably heard it or seen it. Okay? As Jesus is bringing us closer and closer to Himself the rest of our lives, we are being more and more united 
as couples. And some of you, you may feel like, well, that's not working for me. It feels like it's like we're getting worse over the years. It's like, what's happening? As a husband, as a man, I'm getting worse. The hope of the Christian gospel is, and the irony is, the more you grow in godliness, the more upset you're going to be with your sin, even though you're growing in godliness. So it's going to always feel like you're just in a mess. But you are growing. God is growing you. You're becoming more Christ-like. That is happening. It can't not happen if you are His bride. This is a golden pearl chain that this is, He will present you to Himself without spot or blemish. Those who He justifies, He will glorify. He will. And you may feel like you're stumbling forward. Join the club. Oh my goodness, I've been preaching forever. I always talk so long. Okay, i got to keep going. Verse 31, 32, to become one, this mystery is profound. Verse 31, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two should become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Is it a profound mystery how two can become one? It is, isn't it? Like, it's a profound mystery. Sometimes we look at our spouses, and we're like, you, I have no idea what is happening right now. Like, what is, good? you been there, men? You're like, I have no words. I just, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> right? I mean, like, wives, have you ever thought, how do you not understand this? You are the dumbest man in the world. Like, how do you not get this? It's so clear. And the, the husband's over there like, it's so clear. How do you not see? And it's polar opposites. You know, but the two are one flesh. It is a profound mystery. Like, God is, God is the perfect, He's perfect at stating the obvious. He does it perfectly, but it's so true. It's a profound mystery. I'm going to say it refers to Christ in the church. And a side note here, side note, Christ in the church, this is launching us into four to five weeks on talking about the church. Next week, Russ is going to be doing a, a, a sermon on Sola Scriptura. So we're going to be talking about church, and that's going to lead into church membership. Uh, Russ is going to be preaching on Sola Scriptura. So uh, we are a church because the Bible tells us how to be a church. So our authority is the Bible. So we've got to be firm on that first. So that's where Russ is going next week, Next week, based on this leading us into that. It's a profound mystery. Uh, and so anyways, this is why Christians care so much about marriage, by the way. Christian marriage is about the gospel of Jesus. We get to imperfectly show the world, here is what unconditional love looks like. That's why we're so concerned with marriage, because it says that marriage is actually speaking about Christ in the church. As you see two becoming one, a male and a female, uh, who love Jesus becoming one, it's saying this is something like, it's the best thing that we can demonstrate here, it's something like, something like what God sending His Son to become one flesh with rebels is like. That's why we're concerned about marriage. That's why we love marriage, because it shows us Christ and His church, the bride, Husband and wife, I want you to hear this, what unconditional love looks like. When we fail each other, we can remember, I have sinned against God, yet He loved me and sent His Son Jesus for me anyways. We are free from having to put conditions on our spouse. Wife, I will if you. Wife, and then husband, I will if you. I will if you. Forget that. No more. Don't live like that any longer. That's not gospel living at all. That is satanic living. Built on conditions. Of I will do if you deserve. That is not the gospel. I'll do my part. You do my part. No. God's grace, husbands. Don't wait. Pursue your wife. Don't wait for her to deserve it. Start pursuing her now. Pursue her. And you know what? You say, well, I, baby, do I pursue you well? And if your wife says, yeah, you know what? You can pursue her more. 
I'm hearing this for myself. So summary and conclusion. Verse 23. Andy, go ahead and come up. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. See that again? It's not this disconnect. It's not I, me, is me and Jordan. Love your wives as Christ, or excuse me, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husband, love your wife as your very self, not as you love yourself, but love her as yourself. Wife, respect your husband. And by God's grace, let us, without conditions, say, yes, God, your word is good. Help me. We need help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to have a Bible with your words in it. And I need help as a husband. And I thank you for a godly wife. I just need help. And I, I thank you for the example that you set for us, that our, our marching orders are in front of us. We know that, okay, Christ-like, I want to serve, pursue, see her beautified, sanctified, all of these things. I've got the rest of my life ahead of me to become a better man, a better husband. Help me with that. But help me not forget, Jesus, that you have perfectly done that for me. Help me to understand that. Help us as men be comfortable with the fact that we have a King, Savior, Jesus, and we're also called the Bride. How weird and... That's just weird. But it's a good part. It's a good Bride to be a part of. You're doing this for us, not just for our wives. You're doing this for us. Change us. Help us. Make us be better men, husbands. Help us to serve sacrificially. Love fearlessly. Just help us. Help our wives say about their life tomorrow and the next day and five years from now and ten years ago, ten years from now and twenty and thirty years from now, that I am a more godly woman because of my husband. Help my wife to say that. I want to live in that way. Help me, God. Jesus, thank you for being perfect and changing me, being committed to us and our marriages. Help us. Help us to see that marriage problems are sin problems. It's not just, well, we don't get along and we don't like each other, our personalities clash. Get over it. It's not that. It's sin problems. Repent, run to Jesus, fight for your marriage. Just help us. We know you will. In Jesus' name, amen.